Well, good morning, everybody. This morning we are continuing in our Advent journey here at Covenant, and the way that we are taking this journey this year is that we don't really have um, uh, an overarching theme like we, uh, like we do sometimes, but what we have instead is that we're following the liturgical calendar. Okay? And by that means that the candles we light each Sunday are giving us direction both for the service that day, but also for the entire week. I hope you got uh, last week your daily Advent devotion booklets. If you didn't get them, you can get them online. Uh, you might be able to pick up a few. We might still have a few today, but you can get them online on our website or our Facebook page. Uh, there's a link there to it. And it's writings every day to take us through Advent on this journey to Christmas. And so the first candle we lit last Sunday was the candle of hope. We talked about hope on Sunday, and then we had readings in our Advent book, all of which were around the idea of hope that week. Today we lit the candle of peace. And so that's what we're going to talk about from Isaiah again. And we're also going to have readings each day this week around the idea of peace, really seeking to help us go deeper and deeper as individuals and as families into what this Advent journey is about. Okay, so peace is what we're going to be talking about today. And the scripture we're going to be looking at is from Isaiah chapter 26. Um, Isaiah wrote about uh, seven to 750 years before the birth of Jesus, um, and yet his words give direction to all of us almost 3,000 years later in, in Austin, Texas, about the journey of faith that we are on, particularly in this season of Advent. So we're going to bring it up, Isaiah 26, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. On that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up victory like walls and bulwarks. Open the gate so that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Those of steadfast mind you keep in peace, in peace because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord God you have an everlasting rock, for he has brought low the inhabitants of the heights, the lofty city he lays low. He lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust, the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this day that no matter who we are, that you would speak to us as we continue to try to understand what it means to not just talk about peace, but actually have it. And maybe even as we have it, that it can flow from us so that we can be peacemakers in this bitterly divided world in which we live. We pray for your leading and your guiding in Christ's name. Amen. So the, the, the candles of Advent that we're talking about, hope last week, peace today, joy that we'll talk in, uh, in here next Sunday about, and love before we light the candle in the middle, the Christ candle. Of all of those, I believe that the candle of peace is maybe the one we need to talk the most intentionally about and define because the concept of peace is certainly not unique to something we just talk about during Advent here in the church in Christianity, right? Peace is everywhere. And everybody who, uh, who hears it kind of votes for it and it's like, yes, I vote for peace. That sounds like a good thing, right? Like there's very few people in the world who hear about it. It's like, do you want world peace or do you want peace in your life? And they're like, no, I really would like more conflict and violence, right? Like it's not a term that, that people kind of hear and go, I don't know what that means or I don't know if I want it. And so, uh, and so everybody talks about it. Politicians talk about it. The United Nations talks about it. Religious leaders talk about it. Advertising talks about it. That's advertising all different kinds of products, especially at this time of the year. Peace and let's have peace. Let's be people of peace. Let's be world peace. And all of it's not, none of it's a bad thing. 
I think everybody who hears it, they look at it and they're like, I vote for that. That sounds good. But here's the thing. As much as we talk about it, as much as politicians talk about it, as much as people vote for it, as much as people say that, yeah, yeah, I vote for peace and that candle burns and I support it, no matter how many Olympic opening and closing ceremonies had, or it's peace and we are the world, we are the children and all this other kind of stuff, I'm not certain we're actually any closer to being a people of peace and a world of peace than we were 25 years ago or 50 years ago. It's not that nothing's changed, but are we any closer to what you would really say is a just and lasting peace in our nation or in our world? And it's not through a lack of talking about it. The reason that we need to define it is because peace is a real thing that God promises us, but we have to understand that biblically, the origins of peace, not just pointing it out and going, yes, I want it, and we as the world want it, but that the origins of how we find peace are very, very particular and very clear for us to follow. Couple of things I want to say about this before we start. The first thing is this is that biblically, if we want to understand biblically what peace is, we have to understand that peace is not something that exists uh, when the world's circumstances or circumstances around us get right. And that's really important because most of us who say, oh, I don't have much peace or our world doesn't have much peace, we point to external things as the reason why. Right? So it's like, well, because I didn't get the promotion at work, or because the wrong political party's in power, or because of this, or because of that, and if those things were right, then the result would be that we have more peace. And the Bible's very clear about the fact, it's like, no, if that were true, we would have become more peaceful a long time ago. The origins of peace are not about getting your world and your family and your relationships right and our politics right, and if we could get it right and then freeze it and hold on to it and not let it change, then all of a sudden we would have more peace. The Bible says very clearly that peace doesn't happen when everything gets right outside of us and then flows to us, but that peace begins inside of us and flows from us out to the world. That's really important. The origins of peace, if we want it to be something more than we, what we talk about, it starts from within us, not from outside of us, and flows from us, not to us. Okay? Second thing about that, though, is that peace within us is not something you can give to yourself. That would be the cultural thing, right? Culturally, in Austin Day, people would be like, this year for Christmas, I give myself the gift of peace. That means nothing. That means nothing. It means nothing. It's a sentiment for a moment. If you could just choose it, I just choose peace, the world would actually be a peaceful place. It's, 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 not, it's something that comes from within, but it's not something you can give to yourself. The Bible makes it clear, and Isaiah makes it very, very clear here, that the origins of peace come out of what he calls a right relationship with God. That when inside we experience righteousness, he says, a right relationship with God, that allows us to trust God and it allows us to actually become people of peace. So when we don't have peace in our life, it's not because we didn't get the promotion at work, it's not because the wrong political party is in power, it's not because of da-da-da-da-da, and it's not because we just haven't chosen it in our heart. It's because we're not dwelling in or sitting in or abiding in a right relationship with God. Isaiah says peace begins with the righteous knowing that they are righteous and coming into the presence of God. That's where Isaiah 26 and verse 2 says is the origins of peace. So if we want peace, that's what Isaiah says this candle's about. And Advent 
is the perfect time for us to be able to journey towards a good understanding of righteousness, being right with God. Now, when we say that's the origins of peace, that's not just a Christian thing. All religions, all spiritualities basically make the same claim. We get right with God, then everything else will be okay. What's unique about each faith is how it says you get there. And to illustrate how we believe and what we believe that and why Advent's the perfect time for us to go there, I actually want to use an illustration. And I'm just going to tell you now, this is going to be an interactive exercise, okay? And for those of you who have been here more than twice, when I say that, you know that I actually mean it, okay? And when I, so you're going to, and again, some of you are like, yeah, I don't really do that. I'm too cool. We know how cool you are, right? We're all aware of your cool factor and your street cred and everything else, but you're going to have to do this anyway, okay? And it's not just a tiny little point that we're making. It's not just a little side point. You are going to give this sermon with me. What I, where we're going to end is based on what you say, okay? And the reason we're going to do this is because at the end of this, I don't want to be accused of making a straw man argument that just made my point. So we're going to use your words to make the point of what we believe righteousness about, which is the origin of peace, okay? And why we're gonna do this is because this is a great time of year to do it. And what we're gonna talk about is one of the great works in history, one of the most well-read works in history, uh, the book that in the movie and plays that you've probably seen many different times, uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Okay, that's, the, that's the, what we're going to talk about. Some of you may have seen it at the Zach Theater, uh, which is a very cool production. It's one of my favorite. That I've, you, maybe you've read the book. I've read the book. It's, it's fantastic. Um, maybe you've liked the Muppets version of the movie, which is a really good one, too. Uh, maybe you like the Bill Murray version. There's a whole bunch of you can go with. But this is, this is Dickens' best-known novel. It's been translated into nations around the world, and we're going to talk about it today for how we normally think about righteousness and getting right with God. Okay. Now, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to ask you some questions about A Christmas Carol, and where we go is based on your answers. Now, you can't make an answer up. It's got to be like, it's got to be close to the book or the Muppets movie or something else. But we're going to use your words. Now, when I ask questions, you can't just start shouting out because we're Presbyterians and we do things decently in order, right? And so you can't just start kind of like going all willy-nilly and chaotic here. We're going to raise hands. We're going to have follow Robert's rules. We're going to have a quorum, and then we can second a motion at some point in this, all right? So that's how this is going to work. So I'm going to ask you questions. You raise your hand and answer, okay? Everybody clear on the, on the ground rules? All right. All right. So in the book or in the movie or in the play or in the musical, which you've seen, A Christmas Carol, who is the main character? Who, who is the story about? I you just, you know, I knew it. All the other services follow the rules, and it's this group that's like, man, we're just calling out, right? I won't call on you this way. You've got to follow the rules. We are going to be rule followers here. Yes. All right, who's it about? Ebenezer Scrooge, thank you. And I actually tricked you and lied to you because it's not just one question. I'm going to ask you a follow-up, which means that no one else is going to answer questions from here on out. But it's simple. <laughs> describe for me at the beginning, how would you describe Ebenezer Scrooge? Like in a sentence or two. How would you describe him when we first see him? Grouchy, Grouchy is a great word. Anything else that comes to mind? Other characteristics? Um, wealthy. Wealthy. And how about anything else that sort of goes along with the wealth? Miserly, yeah. I'm phoning a friend. Phoning a friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's that? 
greedy. Your, your, your phone a friend worked perfectly. It was the right lifeline to use. And, uh, and yes, so greedy, all of those are right. Greedy, wealthy, grouchy, right? And it's all tied together. This, this, this miserly, greedy, wealthy individual, okay? And we first encounter him and see him on Christmas Eve. All right, so that's when we first... Now, Ebenezer Scrooge, greedy, uh, wealthy, grouchy individual, uh, on Christmas Eve goes home and he has all of these bizarre things that happen in his life. What's the first thing that happens to Ebenezer Scrooge? Yes. He what? Exactly. He sees Jacob Marley in the door knocker and then Jacob Marley appears at his bedroom. Now, Hannah, how... how Describe Jacob Marley for me. What, what was he like when we see him? What is he like dressed in? In chains. And why is he dressed in chains? Because he was greedy like Scrooge. That's my daughter. That's what I'm talking about. It was all a setup. So he's greedy like Scrooge. And in fact, what Dickens writes, and this is important, is the chains of, and when I grew up, I want to be an actor. And so Marley like goes, he's like, Scrooge, you know, you've seen him like this. And he has, he's in these chains and you hear the rattling and everything else. Why does he have chains? Because he's been greedy. And Dickens says that each link in the chain is forged by an act of selfishness. Right? And so Marley's been selfish, just like Scrooge for decades. And so he has to carry these chains around for eternity. Very good. So Jacob Marley. Now, Marley says that he's going to be visited by what? Yeah? Three ghosts. And who's the first ghost, Stephanie? See, I'm asking you three questions. We're just going to keep going here. Um, ghosts of Christmas past. So that's the first of the ghosts. Now, when they go in the Ghosts of Christmas past and Scrooge, can you remember like one thing that they see or do or experience? Yes. So he has a childhood and has a memory in a boarding school. And do you remember what happens with that? Sister comes and picks him up because he's the only child that's been left there. That's not his parents don't pick him up in the past, but he has this moment. He has other moments that he goes and sees with the ghost. And they see that uh, there's moments, if you remember, where he gets engaged at Fezziwig's uh, at the Christmas party that's there. And then there's another memory where he chooses to break off the engagement with Belle. And it's a, it's a story of, of pain and heartache and regret. It's very poignant. All right, so that's the ghost of Christmas past. Next ghost that comes is which? What's the second one? We got to keep going here, guys. Yes. Christmas present. Do you remember what they see or do or experience? They, tiny, they go to Tiny Tim's house. Right. Yes, thank you, Beth. So they go to uh, Tiny Tim's house, and they go all over, actually, London and all over different places in the book, and they see all of these Christmas feasts and celebrations that are going on, right? And God bless us, everyone, and that's where we celebrate, and we see the Christmas joy in different people's house. And he gets to experience that, which is very different from Scrooge's reality, where he's by himself and alone and just wants to work and count money and be greedy and everything else that, that was right on that you said, grouchy and stuff. All right, so that's the present. And then the final ghost... The last one that comes is which ghost? Yeah. The future. The ghost of Christmas future. And do you remember what Scrooge sees with that ghost? It's the shortest one. That's exactly right. Good job. He sees his grave. He sees that he's going to die. And does anybody really sad about it? 
No, nobody's sad, nobody shows up uh, for his funeral. And so he wakes up on Christmas morning having had these three experiences with these ghosts and with Jacob Marley. And then how would you describe Scrooge at the end? When he wakes up on Christmas morning, what's he like? Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. He's happy and he wants to start giving and he's changed. And he has these great phrases and he says, it's not too late. It's not too late. I can change. I can change my ways. And, and, and it's kind of this wonderful moment. It's a great story. It's, like I said, every year I get kind of teary watching it. It's a story of hope and transformation and how lives can be different and regret and how we make decisions. It really is an amazing story. And do you believe, to try to bring this back to a point, if there is a point in here, that this candle of peace that we're talking about, do you think from the story that the inference is that Scrooge finds peace? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the inference too, that he, he finds peace. Do you think he does? Do you think it works? And he says it's not too late, I can undo, I don't have to have this idea of the chains of the past. Do you find peace in that? You see, for me, and this could just, it could just be me. It could just be me. But I don't know if that system would fill me with peace. Because I don't know on the 25th I'd be all hyped up and emotional and I can change and I can do these things differently and I have these great emotions. But I think on like the 26th or 27th or 28th, a little question would come into my brain. And the question that would come into my brain is, so how good is good enough? How good is good enough? How good do I have to be and for how long? Because remember what we said, it was your words. It's actually my daughter's words and then your words too, but I didn't plant her out there for this. Each chain you forged in life, if that's the system, you've got to play by the rules going forward. It's not too late is what Scrooge says because I can change my ways, meaning that the system's still in place so that I can start doing good things that credit good things to my account that start taking the links of that chain away so that I don't have to be like Jacob Marley, but the question still exists. How good is good enough? How good do I have to be and for how long before my credit kind of weighs out my debt? Before what I have in my account is positive weighs out what I have in negative. And so I've got to start doing good things and I have to follow enough rules in order to do that. And I wonder when I'm doing that, if I start paying attention, that part of why I start doing this, now watch this spiral happen, is that because I'm going to start acting good because I don't want to have the fate of Jacob Marley, but there's a sense of self-interest in that. So is it really good stuff that I'm doing or am I starting to act better in order to avoid a fate of walking around with chains and everything? else which I don't want and so it's really in my own interest to start being a better person and so is it really a good act or not or am I just motivated by selfish interest and doing nicer things and so is that adding links to the chain or is it taking them away I don't know it starts getting cloudier at that moment how good is good enough and for how long that doesn't lead me to a sense of peace, that leads me to a deep sense of lasting anxiety. Isaiah says that the candle of peace burns 
And that the origins of peace are knowing that internally you are in a right relationship with God. There's a great story that I love and we love at Christmas of a man who wakes up on Christmas Day and can start undoing the chains that he's created in his life because he can start being better. I got a better story for you. Of one who is born who says that that system no longer exists because there is no answer to how good is good enough. It just gives you deeper and deeper and deeper in the mire. But through faith, through the coming of the Savior, through the Messiah, Paul says in the New Testament that we no longer have to look to our resumes or our rule following or our religiosity in order to be righteous with God, which is the origins of peace, but that the origins of peace come because the righteousness of the Messiah is credited to you. That when God looks at us today, he doesn't see individuals who do bad things in their life and create more chains and then good things in their life that take some chains away. And at the end, you have to decide if you've done more good than bad or does God grade on a curve so that you're not graded, you're not as bad as other people or all these other kind of crazy arguments that we make up to make ourselves feel better. That God looks at you and sees the righteousness of his son. And it's not because of what we do It's because of what Jesus has done. That is what we celebrate today. That, accepting that, is the foundations of peace. You are the beloved. Hallelujah. And amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this day that this good news would penetrate our hearts. That righteousness is not about our resume. It's about a gift that we receive. Help us to accept it today. And may your peace that comes from our right relationship with you dwell in us and remain with us this day and always. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.